All right. Well, this morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians. And last week we started chapter 4, looking at exhortations concerning our position and our disposition. Remember, we are to stand fast, but as we do so, we must have unity and we must be serving together. Now, as Paul continues in chapter 4, I believe he continues with more exhortations, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 7 in chapter 4. Exhortations concerning our heart. Exhortations concerning our heart. Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So if you really want to know what's inside of somebody, listen to what they say. Let them steer the conversation because they'll take it and talk about what's important to them, won't they? For some it may be work. For some, it's sports, some it's whatever. But you listen to somebody talk, and you're going to hear out of the abundance of what they say what's really in their heart. Now think about that for a moment. Then what comes out of your mouth? You know, if I'm not careful, I, can, I find myself tending to be complaining. So what does that say? It's in my heart. Obviously not joy. Obviously not praising God. And so when I hear that coming out of my mouth, I have to go back and think, so what's really in my heart? Folks, we've got to concentrate and focus on rejoicing so that we can have a proper heart attitude. You can also see much about a person's heart by the activities in which they participate. Because again, out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaketh, but I believe also then the hands will act upon what's really in the heart, don't you? So, again, these exhortations in verses 4 through 7, dealing with our heart. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So here are the four ex exhortations that I want us to examine this morning. First, we're going to see the exhortation concerning our praise in verse 4. I mean, the exhortation concerning our praise. Secondly, we'll see the exhortation concerning our passions in verse 5. Then in verse 6, the exhortation concerning our prayer... And then in verse 7, ending with the exhortation concerning our peace. You see, we need to have the right heart, a heart that's truly rejoicing in Christ, in order to have the right actions. Christian, this is only possible for the Christian. Because God has placed in us a new heart, has He not? A new man. The old man cannot have these things. And so it's important you and I are feeding, if you will, the spiritual man in order for these things to be manifesting themselves. Let us pray. 
Father, again, thank you for this opportunity to gather and to study your word. And as we look at this passage again, Lord, I pray that we truly consider our heart's attitudes. And that we'd have a right heart in order to have right actions. And Lord, I pray as we look at these exhortations concerning our heart, that again, we'd allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives. And Lord, we confess any sin in our lives, that we would make changes that need to be made in order to walk closer with our Savior. First, in His precious name we pray. Amen. First, we see the exhortation concerning our praise. We are commanded to rejoice. Now, rejoice here in the Greek is in the imperative, which means it's a command. I love the way the Greek language makes it clear, because sometimes in English you're like, so is that a suggestion or is that a command? In the English language, when it's written as an imperative, an imperative being a command, it is a command of God. So God doesn't give you the option to rejoice. Well, you know, I don't feel like rejoicing today. I don't feel like, well, Christian, you and I should rejoice every day. No matter the circumstances, you and I still have our sins forgiven in Jesus Christ, do we not? You and I still possess eternal life because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and placing our faith in Him. So it doesn't matter what happens in life, you and I still have the responsibility to be rejoicing. Rejoicing is the theme of this entire book. Again, remember, Philippians is written while Paul is in jail, yet the entire book that he writes to the church of Philippi is about rejoicing. As I said, our rejoicing is in the Lord. Rejoicing in the fact that we have salvation. Psalm 13, 5 says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 10, 20, Notwithstanding this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's a reason to rejoice, isn't it? As we looked at last week, many cities had a book of citizens of that city. If you are a born-again believer today, your name is written in the citizenship of heaven. We should rejoice in the preaching of the gospel. Philippians 1.18, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, and yea, will rejoice. Again, remember we studied this way back when we started the book, and Paul says, some have the wrong motives for preaching, but if they're preaching Jesus Christ, I'm going to rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is being preached. It's kind of humorous to me today. Not humorous, it's actually kind of disgusting. The things that, you know, Facebook probably just needs to go away. All social media probably just needs to go away. So on Facebook, I don't even know how it got started, but I saw somebody making a comment about, <clears throat> the churches who are not meeting on all their services on Sunday, on Christmas Day, are absolutely wrong. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, we're one of them. Okay, here we go again. What, what is up with this? <clears throat> and some people saying, no, it's, it's you know, because they, like us, have chosen not to have all their services. And then those that say, but, you know, it's the Lord's Day, it's the Lord's house, and blah, 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 blah. And if you can't meet on that day, especially since you're supposed to be celebrating the birth of Christ, you're wrong. Folks, why do we do this to each other? I am thankful we are an independent Baptist church. Right? I'm glad we don't answer to other men. 
And by the way, if you really have a problem with somebody else not doing it the way you think they should, how about not post it on public social media? How about give them a phone call and say, hey, brother, I think you're living in sin because you're not having all your church services on Christmas Day. Be a man about it. Stop being a little wimp and put it on Facebook because I'm telling you, Facebook has created a bunch of wimpy people who will say something on public social media that refuse to say it to your face because they're not man enough to do so. And I'm tired of it. You got something to say to me? Come to my face and say it. I'm not saying that to be mean. It's just the way we're supposed to handle things, is it not? But I'm glad that God has uh, chosen to put among us those self-righteous, independent Baptist police who have to figure it out for everybody else and tell them how wrong they are, aren't you? Rejoice in the preaching of the gospel. I think we can still rejoice that we're going to be able to meet on Christmas Day, aren't you? And just because we're not having the early morning service and the Sunday school service doesn't mean we're sinning against God. And by the way, what's funny is some of these guys are meeting on morning services but not having an evening service. It's like, well, that's kind of our early morning service, so let's just rejoice in the fact that there is preaching of the Word. By the way, it saddens me. Some of these mainline denominations have been strained from the Word for a long time. But the United Methodists have split again. And 200 and I think it's 249, don't quote me on that exact number, United Methodist churches in North Carolina pulled out a United Methodist, and they've created what they're calling the um, Global Methodist. And you know what's sad about it? As I was reading this article, it wasn't the ones who changed and said that homosexual preachers should be allowed who got rid of the name. They didn't pull out and say, we're going to go create something new. They made the conservatives who were saying, no, the Bible says it's wrong. They're the ones that had to pull out and start this new global Methodist. You know what that tells me about any church that still wears United Methodist on their sign? They're no longer following the Word of God. If they chose to stay, they're no longer following the Word of God. Of course, I believe many of them made that choice way back when they decided women should be in the pulpit. Okay, probably long before that. I have a, a brother in Christ who is a Methodist preacher. And sometimes I just want to know, why do you still stay with them? You and I can always have joy because our joy does not depend on circumstances, but on the faithfulness of God. Even in the midst of trials, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I've given you the illustration before of my, one of my mentors in the faith, Mr. Neil Beers. As his son Ben was dying of cancer, he still was a man who had great joy in his heart and still shared the gospel with folks around him. Again, Paul's in prison as he writes this letter and rejoicing and encouraging others to do likewise. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? So the exhortations concerning our praise, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In case you didn't get it the first time, he'll say it again. But secondly, the exhortation concerning our passions. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Moderation, mildness, or gentleness. We think of uh, um, <clears throat> moderation the opposite of excess, right? But we need to restrain our passions. Now, not just our sexual passions, but all passions need to be kept in check. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with being zealous or passionate about something. When you believe something, you need to have a zeal. You need to have a passion about that, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the mainly the fleshly desires, those passions of the, that, that can lead to sinfulness. We need to be careful and keep those in check. You know, we all need time of recreation, but we don't need to live for the weekend, right? We all need time of sleep, but we don't live for sleeping. But we should do our best at all we do. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. You know, it's interesting. We use the expression, well, good enough for government work, which means it's not quite perfect, but it's close enough. You know, I actually, from my understanding, that phrase actually used to mean something different at one point. Because the government standards were so exacting, it means it was very good quality. Now it's become just the opposite. It means it's actually not quite up to par. Many Christians live their Christian life as, eh, good enough for government work. Eh, close enough. Or, here's one of my favorite. Hey, we got all this junk we don't need. I bet you the church could use it. It happens, folks. Okay? How about we think and understand that what we do for God should be top quality. Don't you believe that? Okay, so whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Colossians 3.23 says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So my work should not be just good enough for government work. My work should be the absolute best that I possibly can do at all times. Well, if I do too much, the boss is going to give me more work. Well, understood. That's typically, unfortunately, how it goes. But take it as a compliment. But do not live with any excesses. Proverbs 23, 2, And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. I probably should have read this verse before yesterday. I have a friend who, a pastor friend, who he and his wife are having their 50th wedding anniversary, and his son put together this big feast yesterday, and we had oysters and more oysters and more oysters. Then came out the pig and all the fixings to go with it. And then at the end, a cake. I'm glad it was only, I only ate two meals yesterday, breakfast and that meal. Okay. <laughs> but that sin of gluttony yesterday and I probably, <laughs> but it was good. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 says, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Now, sleeping is not wrong. We all need it, right? But those that are lazy and never get up, I mean, I know people who don't get up till noon. It's like, half the day is gone. What are you doing? But it can apply to excess video games, TV, Social media, anything that becomes a time waster for you is and becomes in excess and that is taken away from your time with God, you need to put it back in check. But Paul says, let your moderation be known to all men. So in other words, don't hide the fact that you try to do all things in moderation. So the world should know that there's a difference in you. And then he ends the verse by saying, the Lord is at hand. 
Again, we need to practice the presence of Christ. God is with you no matter where you go. So be careful, no matter where you are, that you're setting that testimony for Christ before others. You could ask it this way. Would you want Jesus to return while you're doing what you're doing? When you're in a conversation, would you be embarrassed if Jesus were to return while you're holding that conversation? Where you're, who you're with, or what you're doing. Now, listen, I'm not saying avoid lost people. You've got to be around lost people in order to witness the lost people. Okay? But we don't have to participate in the wickedness that the lost people participate in. Take the name of Jesus with you, the song says. You know, Christian has the idea of being a little Christ. By the way, they were first called Christians at Antioch. It was not a term that they gave themselves. It was the world who kind of, making fun of them, said, Oh, you little Christ, you little followers of Christ. And the Christians said, well, we'll take that as a badge of honor. That's a, cool, that's a good name. We'll take that. But when, as we wear that name, are we representing Jesus Christ? Are we trying to be a little Christ, if you will? But another fact about the phrase, the Lord is at hand, is the beautiful thought that God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So here Paul is in jail says, you know, I can still rejoice. I can still let my moderation be known unto all men. You know why? Because God still hasn't forsaken me. Now, do you think it was Paul's desire to be in jail? Obviously not. Unless you're really weird, nobody sits here and says, ooh, I want to be the next martyr. Ooh, I want to go to jail. Okay? Now, if we have to for the cause of Christ, we should be willing to, but it shouldn't be the desire of our heart. Right? If there is, it's something messed up in your head, I think. So we've seen the exhortation concerning our praise, the exhortation concerning our passions. Now, thirdly, let's examine the exhortation concerning our prayers. Be careful for nothing. Okay, so I should be careless and reckless. Is that what Paul's teaching? No. The word careful has the idea of being anxious or worrying, or, if you will, full of cares. Full of, oh, i got to worry about this. Oh, i got to take care of this. You know, I find this to be more true, typically, in younger people than in older people. Now, I'm not picking on younger people. It's just the truth. Because of lack of life experience, young people seem to be worried about everything. I know when I was younger, I worried about everything. I'm never going to get married. I mean, I was all 21 when I got married. I mean, I was an old man. I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to do whatever, you know. And I'm wondering about what life is going to be like, and I'm wondering what I'm going to do when I grow up. I still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. But life used to be worried about everything. And then to help it all, went and joined the Navy, you know, in, in the military life, I personally found that, you know, I mean, <clears throat> there were certain ones that would yell at you about everything. So you had to keep everything all squared away all the time. And, you know, so you're worried about everything and all the time. Anyhow, <clears throat> all the cares of the world just seem to weigh down on you. Sometimes dealing with young people, I find, you know, well, I wonder about what's going to happen. You know, even when I was in college, I still wondered what's going to happen when I graduate college. 
Where am I going to minister? Am I ever going to get out of college? I mean, I squeezed a three-year degree into seven, you know. thought I was never going to get out of there. Be careful for nothing. The Bible tells us we can bring our cares to Christ, our burdens to Him, and leave them there. Now, if, do we really do that? The older I get, the harder time I'm having sleeping anyhow. So I don't need the cares of the world. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So we don't need to be anxious or worry about anything because God is in control. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still. You know one of the hardest things for us as Christians to do is to be still. Stop and wait. But God already knows what you have need, what, what needs you have. Matthew 6, 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. And we also need to remember, whatever we do, do it by faith. Romans 14, 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. You know, God cares about the details of your life. Now, I find that amazing. The great God who spoke these worlds into existence is not too busy to care about the smallest details of my life. And he says we can bring to him anything, anything. Do you ever feel sometimes, well, I'm not going to pray about that because God's too busy, or God wouldn't care about that? You know, he does. The Bible says a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without his notice. How much more does he care about you? I mean, it's not trying to belittle the bird, but it's just a little bird. Who really cares? God does. And then he says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Bring your request to him with thanksgiving. Don't treat God like a genie in the bottle. God, here's my list of what I want. He's not a Santa Claus that you just give him your list and he makes it happen. He is God Almighty and we need to come to him with thanksgiving. Even as we're bringing our request to Him, thank Him for what He has provided. And then the verse continues, Let your request be made known unto God. Now God already knows everything, does He not? But He wants to hear from you. He wants us to show our dependence on Him. And you know, it amazes me that He not only wants to hear from me, but He does listen and he answers, and he cares. So instead of worry, how about pray? Instead of worrying and being anxious and fearful and doubting, how about we eagerly wait for him? Has he not promised to meet our needs? Then as we pray and show our reliance on him, we can, and rather than worry about it, we can Rest in confidence, waiting, knowing that he will answer because he has promised that he will meet our needs. So if this is a need that I'm bringing to him, he has promised he will meet it, right? 
So then instead of worrying and fretting, you know, here's how sometimes we pray. We pray, God, I have this need, please meet it. And then instead of leaving it there and trusting him to answer it, we kind of keep um, worrying about it, fretting about it. Well, I wonder if God's going to answer. Uh, God, did you hear that the first time? I uh, want to make sure. Now, I'm not saying we can't repeat the request to God, okay? But again, with a confidence that if this is according to the will of God, he's going to answer this prayer, not with these still, well, I'm going to pray again because I'm still worried about it. Stop worrying. Start trusting. Don't be full of care. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now, Christian, yes, we got to pray according to God's will, okay? You can't pray, again, treating God like a genie in the bottle. Lord, I need a brand new Cadillac, and I need an indoor, uh, indoor, yes, indoor pool, yes, with an indoor bowling alley, too. No, I don't need those things. But you know what's interesting to me? Even the things we do need, and while we are to bring those requests to Him, you know, in my personal time, I'm, I'm reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's interesting because Jesus is saying, don't take thought of what you're going to eat. Don't take thought of your raiment. Don't take thought of those things. The Gentiles are all worried about those things. Your Father, which is in heaven, knows you have need of those things, and He will provide. Let me tell you, God has provided for my family and I every day. Sometimes it may be when we go to the grocery store, there's a certain item on sale. Well, that's probably the food that we're going to eat this week, right? Or my wife goes to the Salvation Army and she'll find clothes that still have the tags on it that are my size. Well, God put it there so I don't have to pay full price because I can't understand why people pay full price for all this stuff. You follow what I'm saying? Which brings us then to the last exhortation concerning our heart. And that is the exhortation concerning our peace. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now this is a man, again, sitting in jail, saying, Hey, the peace of God that passeth all understandings, will keep your hearts and minds. But before we can have the peace of God, we need to have peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. This world is seeking peace, and they will never find true peace apart from Jesus Christ. Because until you've made peace with God, friends, that's at the moment of salvation, right? Because before that, I was the enemy of God. But when I, be, when I was born again, I was born into the family of God. I went from being his enemy to his child. That's making peace with God, is it not? But if you want the peace of God in your heart, you first must know peace with God. But then we can have the peace of God. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word rule there has the same idea as the word umpire. So the umpire calls the shots, right? So you and I need to allow the peace of God to umpire, if you will, rule in our hearts. Now, 
this principle gets confused by many. Well, pastor, I prayed about it and I have peace. Okay, well, that directly contradicts the word of God, so I have no idea what peace you're talking about, but I promise you this, it's not the peace of God. And I can say that with 100% confidence because God's will will never contradict his word. And I get so tired of people telling me, well, pastor, I prayed about it, I have peace, knowing that what they're talking about directly violates scripture. There's no way that's the peace of God. That is your manufactured peace that has tried to justify in your head what, God, what you think you want to do, and you're trying to blame it on God, but he has not given you a true peace about it, and I promise you he hasn't. Folks, the peace that passeth understanding. I can't explain it to you because Paul even writes, under the inspiration of Scripture, it passes understanding. But let me tell you something. When you have truly experienced the peace of God in your heart, you will know what it is. It's kind of like when a young person asks, how do I know it's the right one? And what do we tell them, those of us that are married? You'll just know. You'll just know. Because you can't explain it. But you just know. Right? So it is with this peace that passes understanding. Once you've experienced it, you just know what that is. And without ever having experienced it, you can't possibly know what it is. But let me tell you something. It is a true peace. The peace that says, I can put my pillow on my head and fall asleep and have a good night's rest because I'm not worrying about it. I'm not fretting about it. I know this is the will of God. I remember when I decided to leave Bethel Baptist Church and moved to Shelby, North Carolina, to go to college. So I was on maintenance staff there. I was head of the maintenance department, a church of 1,300 people. So we're talking full-time job. We lived at the church parsonage. And this was the church that Susan grew up in. And after a while, I actually started getting a real name. For the most time, I was Susan Edwards' husband. But then I finally actually was there long enough. I started getting my own real name. And so things seemed to be going really well at this church, and I decided we were going to move to Shelby, North Carolina. Now, this was 2001. All the mills in the previous two years before that had closed in Western Carolina. It was all textile out there, and every single one of them had closed their doors. All the textiles had moved out of North Carolina. There wasn't a job to be found. And so we went house hunting, and I found, I was going to rent, but I actually found a guy who was getting rid of his trailer, who was a student, and it was going to be cheaper to make the payment on that than it would be to rent. So I agreed to buy the house, and I was going to move down there, and still was not able to secure a job. And I remember one of the secretaries at the church pulled me in her office and she chewed me up one side and down the other. You're a young man with a young family. You have a good job here. How dare you walk away from all this and go down there and you don't even have a job secured. She says, you're being foolish. And she just started letting me have it, how ridiculous and how stupid I was. 
And I looked her straight in the eye and said, I can't explain it to you, but I have a peace that passes all understanding. And I know this is the will of God for my life. And I said, you can call me whatever you feel like you have to. I said, but I must do this thing. And I walked out of her office. Now I'm going to be honest with you. Inside, I did have this peace. But at that moment, after that criticism, I kind of had that little bit of, boy, am I stupid? Am I really this dumb? And God put the peace right back in my heart and said, don't you dare doubt what I showed you. I can't explain it, folks. So we moved down to Shelby. I started school. Well, we're getting ready to start school. And I went to every place I could find that was hiring, and the lines were 20, 30 people deep. This is back when you actually used to have to fill out real applications. Remember before online everything? The good old days. And I was driving from place to place, now hiring. I'd stop, and there's already a line of 40 people. I'd jump in line. I had a savings account, not much, but I did have a savings account. Right before my savings account was completely empty, I walked into Walmart, and they hired me. And the first check came as I was making the last withdrawal out of the savings account. Because God had to teach me, you trust me, I've got this. I don't remember the exact timing. My wife will help me remember later. But within a year and a half, two years, that church split wide open. The pastor who had been there for 40-some years who started that church had retired. And he wanted his son to succeed him. And the church said no. And they hired a new guy. And this new guy was a um, very dynamic preacher who his style honestly didn't fit with some of the complacency that had set into this larger church, okay? And so rumors started about him, and basically some of these deacons had convinced the whole church to get rid of this guy. And so the church basically fired him, and I believe the pastor was in the right and the church was in the wrong. So had I not been the foolish kid who left this good job, good place, good everything, would have had to resign my job, would have had to obviously leave their house, and would have been jobless and homeless because I would have had to stand on principle because I believed the church was wrong and I would have not been able to work there any longer. And I told Susan, I said, who's the fool? I didn't mean that arrogantly, but I knew one thing. It would have been foolish not to follow God. And I can never explain to you what that peace felt like. Because in my head, it made zero sense to take a young family, a wife and two kids, buying a house without a job, leaving a job, having a small savings account and relying on that until God provided. It made zero sense whatsoever, humanly speaking. But let me tell you what it's taught me. When folks come to me for counseling saying I'm having a hard time trusting God, it taught me how to trust him more, which I'm still learning, but I feel it's given me the ability to be able to help counsel them in their need of following Christ. The world does not understand the peace that only God can give. But I do know 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so one thing that I am 
trying to learn is every time I fear, it's not of God. It's not of God. God has not given the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. If we could grab, grab, grab hold of these exhortations concerning our heart, the need for rejoicing always, living a life that shows others that we love Jesus Christ, praying about everything, having a peace that passes all understanding, Folks, it'll change our lives. These exhortations concerning our heart. So what's in your heart? You can see what's in your heart by what comes out of your mouth and by what's important to you. And so I challenge each of you, evaluate your heart today. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if you say, you know, I don't have that peace. I'm not rejoicing. I'm not keeping my passions in check. I'm not praying about everything. Then, folks, maybe it's time to get along with God and say, God, my heart needs adjusted. Let us bow forward to prayer.